Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. In 2006, I set up a stand on a beach in Sarasota, Florida, saying, Spiritual readings for free. I had just been introduced to dream interpretation through a friend that taught me the evangelical Christian language of dreams based upon the teachings of the renowned Christian prophet, John Paul Jackson. Questions like, was your dream in black and white? Were you watching yourself or were you present? Were you gnashing your teeth together? Is this dream recurring or standalone? These were some of the go-to questions I'd ask people as they sat with me. There were drum circles in the background, people dancing and chanting. Fires were blazing on the beach and my little sign somehow ended up with a line of people looking for something. Now with over 15 years of hindsight, I can see how the questions I'd ask were vague enough to entice anyone in search of answers. I'm now so far removed from the Christian evangelical dream interpretation world that I don't know exactly what to make of it all. Because my desire to help people was earnest, and the experiences I had with the people I gave readings to seemed to resonate. That's why I was so intrigued to talk to a psychic fraud investigator who introduced me to the underbelly of transient crime families. This episode features the ex-New York City cop turned psychic fraud investigator, Bob Nygaard. After Bob's story, we dive into details about how transient crime organizations operate and how difficult it can be to activate the justice system. This is The Unimaginable. I'm your host and musician, James Brown. My name is Bob Nygaard. In 1985, I joined the NYPD. I was assigned to the New York City Transit Police Department, where I worked in the subways in Harlem. They handed me a subway map, sent me out on patrol by myself, no partner, with a radio that barely worked during the middle of the crack epidemic in New York City. That was my training ground. 
I subsequently transferred to the Nassau County Police Department on Long Island, where I made a lot of arrests, a ton of arrests, collars, as they say. Back in 1991, I made an arrest that changed the course of my life. There were three guys that were sitting in a truck, and one of my neighbors came over to me and said, hey, Bob, you know, there's uh, two guys that went into our elderly neighbor's house. And it was just a few houses away from where I lived at the time. And I happened to have two partners with me. And uh, so there was three of us. I see one guy in the truck pick up a walkie-talkie. And the next thing you know, two guys come out the front door. One guy goes up the block one way, and the other guy goes the other way. So I said to my partner, Richie, hey, Rich, you know what? Grab those guys in a truck. Don't let them go anywhere. Hold on to them. And next thing you know, Phil and I, we go up going after the two guys that came out of the house. Phil grabs the guy that went one way. I grabbed the guy that went the other way. Basically, what we did is we corralled all five guys, and uh, we arrest them for uh, burglary. Uh, it turns out that they were doing a home improvement scam. And they had been, you know, burglarizing various elderly people uh, in the neighborhood. And they had been going around from place to place using a sign that they had on the side of their truck, a magnetic sign. And uh, that basically said waterproofing or water company or something to that effect, which they can take off the truck if they need to. And uh, they had out-of-state plates, which is common in this type of scam. So these type of uh, criminals, they travel around the country and they defraud the elderly by doing these distraction-type burglaries. And this was a huge arrest. I mean, it was on a, the Channel 7 Eyewitness News. It was, uh, you know, top story, family affair. It was about these guys that were all related, and they had done this, this big burglary. So with this arrest, I get a call out of the blue from a man by the name of John Grow, And he was a sergeant and the head of a burglary unit in Baltimore, Maryland. And John said to me, hey, Bob, you know, this was a great arrest you have here. And we have a problem with these type of criminals because they're transient in nature. They travel around the country and we're always one step behind them because law enforcement isn't sharing information. The elderly person reports the case and then we never close the case out because these people are in the wind. So John started a group that started trading pictures and information about these type of criminals. And he explained to me that a lot of times these type of criminals are part of criminal enterprises where some of the family members do home improvement scams known as distraction burglaries. Other men might do roofing scams. Others might do driveway seal coating scams or other guys might do auto body repair scams. There's a whole host of scams that these type of criminals like to commit. So anyway, and then you have the women who are part of the criminal enterprise, bringing in money for the families, basically, who are committing fortune telling fraud. And then you got other women who are doing sweetheart swindles. And that's where a young woman will come up to an elderly man in a parking lot or while he's shopping in a grocery store and say something like, oh, it's so good to see you again. It's so nice to see you. How's your wife doing? And, uh, you know, the old guy will say, hey, listen, you know, my wife, the elderly man, you know, he's like, oh, my wife died six years ago. Uh, and the woman will be like, oh, that's so terrible. My husband died in a car accident a year ago. Wouldn't it be nice if we exchanged phone numbers? And the next thing you know, you have a 25-year-old woman who's exchanging phone numbers with an 82-year-old man, and she's coming over to his house. She's cooking him a meal. She's sitting on his lap, rubbing his leg. And next thing you know, she's got him out to dinner telling him how they should get married. 
So you have the home improvement scams, you have the driveway seal coating scams, you have life insurance scams, you have fortune telling fraud, you have sweetheart swindles, you have all these different type of scams where people are bringing in money for basically the criminal enterprise, which is a family-based criminal enterprise. After 21 years of being on a police force, uh, you know, I had a nice pension built up and it was 2007. And I finally said, you know something, it's time to retire, sail off into the sunset, head down to Florida, sit on a beach and go out to tiki bars at night. And, you know, I was a single guy and I just figured I'm going to live the life of Riley. And so I put my papers in, retired and went down to Boca Raton, Florida. And that's where the second part of my life started. After about three months of sitting on the beach, however, you know, and going to tiki bars, I got bored. And I went from being this active guy who's out there, you know, making all these arrests to just sitting on a beach. And I mean, the conversation amounted to, you know, I got sand for my towel in my car and I had to vacuum it today. Uh, what a pain in the neck. And, you know, so, you know, I, I'm used to talking to people about catching someone for a homicide and uh, trying to make a gun arrest or, or a robbery arrest. And now I'm sitting here talking to people about how they got sand from their towel into their car. And it just wasn't working out. And, and I, you know, I was really bored. And I said, I can't do this retirement thing. So I went and I picked up a private investigator license and I started to find money for people that were owed money by the state and the federal government. But that was boring as well. So all of a sudden, a big moment in my life came along where I went out to a happy hour at a place called the Neighborhood Bar and Grill in Boca Raton. And the bartender there was a friend of mine. So she introduced me to two attractive women who she was friends with. One was a doctor and one was a nurse. So I started chatting them up. You know, they learned that I was a retired cop and they wanted to hear war stories, basically about these different stories that uh, what I had done as a cop. And I started talking to them about um, confidence schemes, you know, how I like to outcon the con basically. And uh, because these people are so wily, you know, they're using their brain to commit a crime, not a gun. And it's a challenge trying to get them arrested and convicted. We had a nice chat and some dinner and then we parted ways and I gave them each my business card. And then a few minutes later, I get a call from the doctor asking me to meet her down at the gas station. So I thought she wanted to hook up, to be honest with you. And I met her at the gas station. She pulls up next to me and she says, Bob, listen, you know, I didn't want to say anything in front of my coworker. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I get it. I understand. And she's like, well, Bob, the thing is, I've never been able to tell anyone this before. And then I started to think, well, this isn't going where I think it's going. So uh, she says, listen, Bob, you know, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm a medical doctor. And I'm really ashamed and embarrassed that I gave $12,500 to a psychic. And, uh, you know, she ripped me off and she told me there was a curse on me. So being that I knew all about this world of fortune telling fraud and psychics, it was like the perfect case had fallen into my lap. Something that actually interested me and something that I could sink my teeth into finally, instead of just sitting on the beach, you know, being a beach bum. So I told her, no problem, I'll take the investigation. So I looked the doctor in the eyes and I said to her, let me ask you something. I said, that psychic that ripped you off, what was her name? And then I rubbed my temples and I was rubbing my temples. And I said, was her name Marks? And she said, whoa, Bob, how did you know that? She says, yeah, her last name was Marks and her first name was Gina. 
She goes, but how did you know that? And I said, listen, I'm a psychic, that's how. And we had a little laugh and just a little joke, you know. Uh, you know, I figured it'd just bring a little levity to the situation. She was so upset and everything. And But it turns out that uh, a lot of times, you know, when these self-proclaimed psychics are talking to people, uh, they just throw something at the wall, see if it'll stick based upon knowledge that they already possess. And I also knew from learning about these type of criminals that there's names that keep popping up over and over again. Now we get into the investigation. So I said, how did you find out about this Gina Marks? And she said to me, well, Bob, my housekeeper told me about her. And I said, okay, you know what? Let's drive to your house. Let's talk to the housekeeper and let's find out how she found out about Gina. So we go there, I, I interview the housekeeper and the housekeeper says to me that a bunch of the girls at the nail salon were all getting psychic readings from Gina. So I ended up with five victims in total with a loss of $65,000 amongst them. And I built a case on behalf of those five women. So I said to the doctor, when I got the case, I said, listen, you know, sometimes in these type of cases, the psychic will try to throw money back at the victims in order to make the case go away in lieu of an arrest, in order to get out from under the arrest when they hit her in trouble. So, and I said, I would hope that you would turn down the money at first and go for the arrest to make sure that she gets fingerprinted, photographed, and to make sure that she has a record so that other people can be helped and that she doesn't just skate on this. From my research, I found a guy by the name of Bob Norman who was writing a column called The Daily Pulp in a newspaper called The Broward New Times. And he was writing about Gina Marks and various members of her family. And he had been writing about how she had been doing similar types of scams, but had always been skirting law enforcement, never getting arrested, and always being able to get out of the problem uh, with the help of her attorney. So I said to the doctor, listen, I hope that doesn't happen in, you know, when I take your case. I said, I'm taking this case to try to help you get your money back, also to protect society though. And you know, a lot of times we have a revolving door justice system where these type of criminals just pay the victim back what they stole and they never get in trouble for the crime that they've committed. And that doesn't help protect society at all. So the doctor said, no problem, Bob, I'm completely on board. And everyone else told me they were on board as well, the other victims. These psychics key in on vulnerable people. They say to these people, oh, there's a negativity, there's a darkness, there's a curse. What you need to do is you need to give me money because money is the root of all evil. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna draw the evil away from you using the money. And herein lies the scam. When a person gives the money under those circumstances, the person isn't paying the psychic, say $12,000 to remove a curse. The person is just giving the psychic the money because the psychic says they need to work with the money temporarily to draw the evil away away from the person, out of the person, and then they're gonna take the money to their church, to the altar, and they're gonna cleanse the money and then give it back to the victim upon completion of the work. What happens inevitably is that the self-proclaimed psychic will keep the money and tell the person that they see that the problem is far worse than originally expected and that money is needed in order to complete the alleged work, that more and more and more money is needed. So this is how the scam works. 
And that's why you have a theft in these situations is because it's not about whether the psychic has psychic ability or not. It's that the psychic is making false representations. They're saying that money is going to be given back and it's only going to be worked with temporarily to be cleansed and then they never return the money. Not only that, they start hitting the person up for more money, saying that the problem is far worse than they thought. There's a lot of hallmarks to these scams. I mean, one of them is don't tell anybody about the work that we're doing or the work will fail. And, you know, they, they want to isolate the victim from friends and family because they know they're dealing with a vulnerable person. In any event, getting back to the Gina Marks case, I ended up building the case, putting it all together and looking for all the provable lies. And then I ended up bringing the case to the Broward Sheriff's Office. And I got a really great detective there, really good guy who was willing to work with me, you know, took what I gave him seriously. And, but then a few weeks later, just like my friend John Groh had talked to me many years before that about the impediments to prosecution, uh, I get a call from the detective and he says, Bob, I got great news for you. And I said, yeah, really, we're great, what's up? And he says, well, Bob, I got the whole 65,000 back. I talked to Gina's attorney and the family wants to arrange to get all the money back. Uh, so I just need for you to arrange to have a time and a day to have everybody come down and pick up their money. So I said, wow, you know something, that's really great. I said, that's, that's wonderful. I said, but I got a question for you. I said, when's she getting arrested? And he said, well, Bob, I, I don't think you heard me. I mean, the people are all getting their money back. And it's not going to be an arrest. I got the whole 65000 And I said, no, I heard you. I said, but I don't think you heard me. When's she getting arrested? And he said, well, you know, the prosecutors are never going to go for that. I mean, they're getting their money back. You know, I said to him, what's the name of the prosecutor who made this decision? You know, who's the one that told you to call up the family lawyer? I said, you know, and how, how is this ever going to stop Gina from doing this again? If all she has to do is pay back the money that she took without any repercussions. It's like if you go into a store and you shoplift and you take three steaks, you stick them under your jacket and you do it 49 times. And on the 50th time you get caught in a parking lot and all you have to do is take the three steaks out from under your jacket and give them back. Why would someone ever stop shoplifting if they're never going to get arrested? So he said, well, you know, I can't argue with you, Bob, but uh, the prosecutors are never going to go for this. So I said, well, what's, the, you know, I said again, who's the prosecutor? What's the name of the prosecutor who told you to do this? And he basically said, listen, you know, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, basically. So I said, all right, well, you know what? I'll make some phone calls myself. So I end up calling the Broward uh, State Attorney's Office, Economic Crimes Unit. And I try to find out who is the prosecutor that made this decision. And it turns out the guy I'm talking to says, no, that was me. I'm the one that made the decision. So I said, well, you know, I don't think this is right. What's going on here? And, uh, you know, basically it was an attitude of this is all game. This is all ball. And if you don't like it, you can go home. So I said, well, you know what? You know, I don't think you're doing your job. I don't think you're protecting society. And, you know, I do want to see victims get their money back. In fact, they're my clients. But at the same time, I think, you know, as a prosecutor, you have a responsibility. And he says, well, we have prosecutorial discretion, you know. And I said, wow, you know what? Great. Absolutely. I've heard that during the 21 years that I was a cop. I heard it over and over again. We have prosecutorial discretion. You know, that's the old Trump card that you guys always go to. You always use. And I can't argue with that. I said, but you know something? I said, I just hope 
that at the end of the day, you're comfortable when you exercise that prosecutorial discretion. Because it might not be tomorrow, it might not be a week from now, but sometime in the next month, maybe sooner, you're going to see that there's going to be an article and it's going to be in the paper and it's going to say that Bob Nygaard is watching the wheels of justice fall off because you won't do your job. And it's not just going to say the Broward State Attorney's Office. It's going to mention you by name saying you're not doing your job. So you can use your prosecutorial discretion all you want. I just hope you're comfortable with it. Next thing you know, the guy hangs up the phone on me. With this, I go back to the detective and I call him up and I said, listen, you know, this is what went on. This is the conversation I had. And I talked to the prosecutor. I know who you talk to now. I know why this was done, but it's not right. And he said, you know something, Bob? I mean, I can't argue with you. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you and say you're wrong. So what he does is he goes and he gets an arrest warrant for Gina Rewalk. Right after uh, Christmas, in the beginning of 2009, Gina turned herself in on the arrest warrant. And the crazy thing is, is that the prosecutor's office was still hemming and hawing about whether they were going to prosecute her even after the arrest. And so the article dropped. Bob Norman wrote an article. Sure as I told him, it said, Bob Nygaard's watching the wheels of justice fall off as we speak. And it said that, you know, Bob didn't think it was right. And this revolving door type of justice uh, just shouldn't go on. Lo and behold, the state attorney decided to charge Gina Remarks, And she ended up pleading guilty and was convicted and paid the $65,000 in order to get um, probation. So she pled guilty. So it was a successful case. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. 
So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. When you're building these cases for victims of psychic fraud, what kind of false representations are made or what kind of provable lies are you looking for? When I talk about the false representations and the lies, the provable lies, okay, what I'm talking about is, for example, let's say I'm doing surveillance on a self-proclaimed psychic and a psychic is texting a victim saying, hey, I'm doing battle with the evil spirits right now. I'm at the church. And meanwhile, I'm watching the psychic and they're at a casino, they're gambling and they're pulling a slot machine while they say they're at St. Patrick's Cathedral. So, you know, you have, you have a psychic who's claiming they're at St. Patrick's Cathedral and they're texting the victim that, oh, I'm at the church doing the work. And meanwhile, I'm doing surveillance and I'm watching the psychic pulling a slot machine at the Hard Rock in, uh, in Florida. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking about that detective you find at the Briarwood Sheriff's Office. Like, you got that guy to do a 180. Like, he went completely out on a limb for you. So, so I- here's what happened. Here, so Jimmy, here's what happened. The, pro- the, the detective actually, the detective made a really bold move, okay? Because he went and got a warrant, even though the prosecutor, he knew that the prosecutor wasn't on board. But he was going to do, do his job anyway. And so he was like, well, the police department... And the prosecutor's office are in, you know, he didn't say this, but what I'm telling you here is what happens in these cases is the prosecutor's office and the police department are independent entities. The prosecutor can't tell the police, you can't take your handcuffs out and make an arrest. So when I was a cop, I, one time I was arresting people for having false social security cards and false immigration cards at one point. They had cards that were, the, the head was chopped off with a razor blade. And you could see it was obviously forgeries. You know, social security cards where the numbers were put on with a typewriter and they weren't even even. So it was an arrest. It was a felony in New York to commit this crime. And I was making arrest. And my boss called me into the office one day and said, hey, listen, you know something? He goes, you got to stop this. And I said, what do you mean stop this? And he goes, well, you know, I don't want you making this arrest anymore. And I said, yeah, but it's forged social security cards. It's forged immigration cards. You know, I don't even know. I'm pulling people over. They're giving me ID. I don't even know who these people are. Uh, you know, I'm getting a fake ID from somebody with a picture, with a fake name and a fake social security and everything else. And he says, well, Bob, we don't want to give the impression we're picking on a minority community. And I said, well, listen, now, what do you call me, a racist? I said, listen, you want to know something? I go, it has nothing to do. I don't care if someone's pink, purple, white, black, brown. I don't care what anyone is. I'm just out here doing my job. I pull someone over. I don't know who they are. They don't have valid ID. They give me a fake ID. It's a felony offense. I'm making the arrest. He says, well, the prosecutor is never going to go for it. They don't want to prosecute this particular, these crimes. So it was like a politically correct thing where the prosecutor's office didn't want to prosecute it. And he happened to be on board with that. And so he said to me, you're not to make this arrest. And I said, well, that's all well and good, but you can't stop me from doing my job. Okay, I'm not I was I took an oath. I put my hand up. I swore to enforce the law and you can't give me an unlawful order. So I went out the next day. I made two arrests for it. 
Okay. Right after he told me. And next thing you know, he took me off the street, put me on the phones and made me answer phones because he said I would know how to play well in the sandbox with others. So what you have <laughs> here is you. Yeah. Yeah. So but in any any event, what happens is as a cop, what I'm trying to explain here is the prosecutor doesn't have the authority to tell a detective or a police officer, you can't take your handcuffs out and arrest somebody. The only authority the prosecutor has is once an arrest is made, then the prosecutor decides whether to prosecute that arrest. Okay. The police deal with probable cause. Is there probable cause to make an arrest? If there is, you make the arrest. It then goes to the prosecutor who decides whether they want to prosecute it. Now, in a lot of times when you have, say, the Broward Sheriff's Office Economic Crimes Unit or any economic crimes unit, mm -hmm. what you have is the detectives are scared to take their handcuffs out and make an arrest without getting the blessing first from the prosecutor's office because they deal with them all the time. And they don't want to be taking time out to make arrests and do investigations where the prosecutor is not going to prosecute it. They right. feel it's a waste of time. But then what ends up happening is they're relinquishing their authority and they become political hacks sometimes because they're not doing their job. And then if there's some type of crime that the prosecutor doesn't want to prosecute, they just tell the, the de detectives, hey, listen, you know, we don't want this. Don't give us any of these. And I never went for that. OK, and so when I went back to the detective in a Gina Marks case and I said, hey, listen, the prosecutor you know, I understand what he did. I get it now. He didn't want to do it. He told you to call the family to work it out that way. That's what you did. I get it. Okay. But that's not justice. And he said, Bob, you know something? I agree with you. You know, I, I can't argue with you on that point. You know, I can't tell you you're wrong. So he went and he got a warrant for the arrest of Gina Marks independent of the prosecutor's office. He went and got a warrant, which he put himself in a tough spot there because he's doing something, in my opinion, that he knows is going against the grain. You know, they want detectives who are going to play ball. They want detectives who hey, anytime you get something, call us and ask us for our blessing, basically. And then if you don't have our blessing, you don't do it. And he went against that. I have to say hats off to you for flipping the detective at the Broward Sheriff's Office and also already having the media behind you, you know, with Bob Norman? You know, I already had Bob Norman lined up, you know, because he had been writing about this. And, you know, he's a real compassionate guy, great reporter and compassionate guy who really cared about the victims. And, I, you know, I could tell by the stories that he was writing that he wanted to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, he wanted to see that justice was served. Mm -hmm. So it was great that I was able to reach out to him and that I had him all lined up. So when the prosecutor pulled the uh, prosecutorial discretion card on me, I had the media and Bob to back me up. So am I right in thinking that these types of criminals are very aware of how the justice system works? So, I mean, what, you know, what these self-proclaimed psychists is doing, they're doing like a cause benefit analysis. They're looking at well, you know, I'm in trouble here. I'm looking at some jail time. Uh, you know, what is it going to cost me to get, you know, a good plea deal? What's going to cost me to try to get probation here or one year instead of five years? So it's, it's basically they're doing like a cost benefit analysis on how to get out of trouble now that they're in trouble and what, how much is it worth to pay back to these victims? And in this particular case, Gina Marks uh, paid back the whole 65000 to all five victims, and she was put on probation.
I can't stand hearing about vulnerable people getting taken advantage of. And sadly, it seems like these self-proclaimed psychics, they, I mean, they have it down to a fine art. You know, it's tragic when you have people that are listening to the advice of self-proclaimed psychics that are feeding them a bunch of hogwash, you know, rather than using their critical thinking skills. You know, that's what happens in these cases. The victims often suspend their critical thinking and start listening to the psychics and uh, because they're vulnerable. Yeah. I have to be honest with you. I had never heard of a psychic fraud investigator before I met you. But now after hearing about the ins and outs of how this whole thing works, I could imagine a victim going to the police only to not be taken seriously, which is a real shame. The thing is, a lot of times people go to the police, they go to prosecutors, they just get laughed at, they get turned away. I don't go for that. You know, I don't go for that at all. You know, when people seek justice, they deserve justice. Victims of fortune telling fraud don't deserve to have their backs turned on them by the people that are supposed to be helping them, namely police and prosecutors. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. If you find yourself in a tough spot and you're looking for answers, try not to abandon common sense, no matter how isolated or embarrassed you feel. 
Because once that's gone, you open the door for people that prey on the vulnerable to come into your life. I know from my own personal experience that once those bad actors are in, they can be difficult to get rid of. No matter how hard you think your situation is, you can always make it worse. The writer Lori Moore has a line in her short story, Paper Losses, about a woman's discontent in marriage. She alludes to the idea of choosing the best unhappiness. I'm especially drawn to this because we all go through complex, hard times. Look for your best version of happiness and you'll find it. And don't compare yourself to anyone. For all you know, the person that seems to have it all may feel worse than you do on the inside. You've just listened to The Unimaginable. I'm your host, James Brown. Until next time. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.